Hey there, I'm Julie Slattery, and I'm so glad you've tuned in for this bonus episode of Java with Julie. This podcast is a production of Authentic Intimacy, a ministry dedicated to reclaiming God's design for sexuality. In the last episode, I talked to Lawrence Koo, and I've invited him back uh, to really discuss some practical and difficult questions about finding our identity as a child of God and just how we walk out some of our sexual struggles. I'll ask him some tough questions like, what do you do if your teenager wants to go to prom with somebody of the same gender? Or do you think homosexuality is actually a social justice issue? I'll also ask him how he personally finds intimacy in his life as a celibate Christian. Now, Lawrence is from the Netherlands. He has worked with the Navigators for 17 years. He's an international speaker and consultant on topics of sexuality, particularly related to same-sex attraction and singleness. His expertise and wisdom flow right out of his own journey. And if you didn't hear it, make sure you listen to episode 297, Finding Freedom in the Midst of Sexual Brokenness. Now let's head to the coffee shop for my conversation with my friend, Lawrence Koo. Thanks for having coffee with me again, Lawrence. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. What I want to talk about today is really about identity. And I know that's a big part of the work that God has done in your life in defining your identity, not by your sexuality, but by who you are as a child of God. Mm-hmm. I want to refer to something that you said last time, and maybe we can jump off of that. You talked about sexuality, different pieces of our sexualities being a trailer for the main show, which is intimacy with God. And you said that marriage is one piece of that trailer. It's one thing that gives us a glimpse of what intimacy with God is. Another trailer that we see in scripture a lot is sonship or daughtership. Right. <laughs> that even more often than referring to marriage, yeah. there's this language of a father and a child. Yeah. How has that been significant in your walk? I think it's the first, it was the first thing that drew me into God. That I was still his child. In the midst of my sexual brokenness, he wanted to embrace me and relate to me as a child. Mm-hmm. There's these uh, paintings of Charles Mackesy, his kind of interpretation of the Luke 15 story of the prodigal son. And he have both like a father embracing a son and also a daughter one. And there, I, when I was in the midst of yeah, my teenage years and just struggling with myself, those were the pictures that I needed to see. Mm-hmm. that he he is actually initiating the embrace as a father to his son. And so I think the Luke 15 story has really drawn me into getting to know God as my father. Mm-hmm. And out of that love and out of that kind of embrace, I could surrender my sexuality. So I don't think I could have done that if I really had experienced God's father love as a son to me. Mm. unconditionally Mm. with no restrictions or restraint Mm -hmm. the fact that he's just running to his son who actually had his plan of salvation like i will just be your servant and that's exactly what i was not in that particular wording but like well but the fact that he was just you know recklessly just going and running towards his son and just embracing him and kissing him that's how i experienced god Mm -hmm. as a father there are two sons in that story. Yes. <laughs> Have you always identified as the prodigal that was running? When I was younger, in the midst of my sexuality, yes. But then when I became this righteous person, I definitely also the older son. Mm-hmm. 
I can see that in how I can, yeah, just judge and just um, have this posture of kind of like, I'm better. I've done all the right things. Mm -hmm. Why don't you give me all the things that I need and want? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's such a rich story and definitely both identify myself with both. But, yeah, yeah, especially on my sexuality story, it's the younger son story. Mm. Yeah. Springboarding off of that, when we talk about sexuality uh, today, I think particularly when we talk about LGBTQ issues, identity is core. Uh, this idea that as a Christian who identifies as gay or who identifies as transgender, right. that God, if he's loving, must embrace me exactly as I am. And that means I'm okay as I am. And that's the narrative that I think most young people are embracing today in trying to make sense of their faith and their sexual struggles. Right. How do we tease that out in terms of where am I in that picture? Am I running just as I am? Is God embracing me or is he asking me to change? How do we deal with that tension? Right. There's truth through that, that God does embrace you and love you for who you are. But can I add in the midst of our brokenness that he does that? But he doesn't want to leave us broken again. I think that's one of the questions that we need to ask ourselves is if who I am or parts of who I am is broken and not according to this redemptive plan of God with his world, then is there also an opportunity for God to be able to transform us in the middle of that? I don't want to, I think that I said in the last, God is not just tolerant, he's transformational. He wants us to be more like his son. And I know that the tension in kind of the world and the bombardment of kind of like, you can be who you are, but what if who we are is not Jesus-like mm -hmm. or not according to what God has for us? then yes, of course, he's the father who embraces his children no matter what, if we come back. But I think the posture of coming back is also, do you want to be transformed by me? Mm -hmm. Do you really want to follow me in all the aspects of your life? And then the call of discipleship come in from Jesus and say, and if you want to be my follower, you need to lay down your life. And for some of them, is that aspects of deep, deep pieces of sexuality that has brought security, I think, for a lot of us and brought a certain sense of identity and value and worth, which is so hard to give up, which I totally understand. But that's why I, you, we all need to experience of the worth of the sonship or daughtership with the father in then in order to, to give up something else that also has value. Mm -hmm. And it, that's, I think, the tension of a lot of us who are in the midst of that. Mm -hmm. And especially when... For non-believing friends or people who has not experienced the value and the worth of a sonship and daughtership, and to ask them to give up these parts of sexuality that has so integrated with the value of identity for them is really hard for them. Mm. And in the midst of like, for me, discipling people in that process, it becomes messy. Yeah. Because you cannot ask them to really give up their sexuality right away unless they have really experienced God's love for them. Mm. So that's kind of, I think, the messiness that we find ourselves in right now in walking mm -hmm. with young people about that. But I do think that we need to challenge them and kind of like, God, 
what does God want for you? Mm-hmm. And we have to acknowledge that we're broken people. Yeah. And that's sometimes what I miss, that there's no acknowledgement of that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Acceptance has to mean that I'm fine just the way I am and everything is good. You know, I don't even allow to use words like brokenness or sin, not just related to LGBTQ issues, but anything. Yeah. Yeah. And we make it all positive. This is just the way who I am. But I think you can be true to yourself, but Mm -hmm. it's the truth to yourself that God, through the new creation, Mm-hmm. And that's what has God in, has in mind for us. Not mm-hmm. true to yourself, to your broken self, but your new creation self. Mm-hmm. And we need to challenge each other. What does that mean? And that's beyond sexuality. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You are on this journey and you mentioned discipling other people on this journey. You work with the navigators. You're working with a lot of young adults, right. uh, a lot of college students. And so I'd love to make this as practical as possible. Right. Uh, a, a lot of the people listening are in my generation and have no idea how to communicate the gospel or how to disciple younger Christians that have no problem with homosexuality. Uh, and it's confusing. Right. Uh, it's like a generational gap right. of Christians that say, the older generation is saying, that's wrong, it's evil, we don't know how to deal with it. And the younger generation is saying, just be loving, embrace. So maybe if you can help us with just some practical examples of where to begin. And a good place to start might even be for that parent who right. has a teenager who's wrestling with sexual identity. Right. And doesn't know what it looks like to love and embrace, but not to affirm. I think for every what we what I've been seeing and what I've been learning and what I wanted to receive when I came out was just a hug and the sense of we love you, I love you, I'm still with you and how can I walk alongside of you? I think that's the one thing that especially in such a sensitive kind of coming out kind of stories is that the first response is important. Mm-hmm. And so that you can communicate that you still love. And I think it, that's what we need to learn, a fine line between like, how can we radically love and still keep true to our own convictions in certain things. You can't disagree, but I think that's the first thing that I would communicate. I think the second thing is that I think the question that a lot of the older generation are facing, in, especially in the spirituality realm, is what is true. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very influenced by our modern age, the intellectual age, the enlightenment age, everything needs to be what is true. And, you know, the gospel is true. I think a lot of the times they talk, we talk, we have been educated like that. I think what this generation is, is actually facing is the question, is the gospel good? So it doesn't matter if it's true, but is it good for me mm-hmm. and where the gospel means good news I think one of the challenges that I've faced in a post-Christian uh, society is that the gospel need to be really good news for people in order to be that it is attractive surprisingly enough the gospel is good news for all generations and cultures mm-hmm. but I think it, it requires a certain not even a depth to what our sense of the gospel is that it's much broader than just salvation, a forgiveness of sin. But I think what this generation needs to hear that, yes, that if you are this fatherless generation that misses 
this kind of the father heart of God that God wants to love you and be with you and relate to you as a father to a child. And I think that's one of the primary ways that I saw people coming to Jesus in post-Christian Europe. And I see the same shift. It's a millennial generation. It's a global generation right now that wants to experience God as a good God, that his truths are good. And I think we are in a challenge to really represent that. So, in other words, you're saying that the arguments, the debates are always around, is it true, instead of around the more pressing question, which is, is it good? Right. Mm-hmm. Because you see that now with even the LGBTQ question, that you can use now systematic theology on what is truth for both sides of theology of that, uh, that says, yes, you can have a gay relationship in love and truth according to the Bible, and another side that says, no, you can't. Mm-hmm. So... The human experience in that sense and the body of Christ being, you know, and then we're filled with the Holy Spirit, I think that's one of the things that I think becomes much more important now too. And also not forgetting the 2,000 years before it across so many cultures of what we have believed and always found in that sense of this is true about our human sexuality. Mm-hmm. And now suddenly in a very individualized world with so much confusion we come to an age where people are saying, I, you know, I make decisions for myself in according to sexuality. Mm-hmm. And it's a very interesting question to me, but I think we, especially the older generation, I would say, how do I represent a life that is good? Mm-hmm. That following Jesus means that's not only a blessing for my life, but also for my community around me. Mm-hmm. So, and then we have to define what is good, of course, and that kind of stuff. But yeah. I think that's one of the things. I so, I love what you just said, and I'm picturing it. But I, the struggle is how do we make that practical? Yeah. Again, you've got a teenager who's wrestling through some of these issues, either personally or wrestling through them because they have friends that are in the midst of gender transitions. And so, uh, the first thing you said is, Embrace your kids, right. love people. Right. The second thing you said is uh, you don't have to compromise what we believe, but we have to present it as good. And right. not just we believe it because it's true, but we believe it because God is good. So how do we do that? Yeah. I think what we talked before, everybody needs intimacy and deep friendship. Mm-hmm. And so befriending these people, if it's your kid, it's your kid. If it's the friends of your kids, let them befriend, you know, if it's your neighbors, whoever, to have deep, intimate relationships with them. Because and that's then, the opposite of what we want to do. <laughs> because yeah. we get afraid and we're like, this is, or this is messy. I don't want to be friend. Right. I don't want my kids talking to kids that might influence them this way. But you're yeah. saying move in instead of moving away? Moving in. If your kids are friends with broken people, it doesn't matter what kind of brokenness. As a parent, your calling is to guide them and lead them through it, especially if they're becoming teenagers. You Mm -hmm. cannot control that anymore. Mm -hmm. But you need to help them build resilience, I think, in the world that they're going to face anyway. Mm -hmm. I think it's, and I've seen that in post-Christian world in the sense of like I grew up with all non-Christians around me and I had to really wrestle with my own sexuality, but also through like how do we do that through the lens of like I'm the only believer here. Mm -hmm. 
And so I feel like that sometimes American Christianity, you can you allow yourself to protect still your children, but not really prepare them really well then for what comes next after this when they go to college and after that. And that's why a lot of them in that age group are losing their faith because mm-hmm. they haven't. And I think especially in the teenage years, you can really help them to build that resilience and also with the people that they're befriending. Mm-hmm. But then for them also, they need to experience how is then God's gospel message good in the middle of those friendships Mm -hmm. and then you have to really wrestle with them and think Mm -hmm. through that Mm -hmm. i would love that if we could do that and not out of fear exclude people from our families but include them because we are aren't we the light of the world and i think there's such a craving i think in this outside world to see a stable family with mom and dad and children that stick together and love each other that's why I love marriage and family so much, because in this world, it's such a light. Mm-hmm. As you said, it's a trailer. It's a trailer. Uh-huh. Or it, at least it should be, yeah. right? And so, yeah, bring those people in to your mm-hmm. life and then help your children or even yourself to work through these questions of like, okay, how do I love? And at the same time, what is really good news for this particular person in their broken sexuality? Mm-hmm. So some of the practical questions that I'll get from parents are things like, I have a child who's identifying as gay. Right. Do I let them date same-sex people? Do I let them go to prom with somebody of the same gender? Right. If this is how they're identifying, uh, how do I do that? I know these are tough questions. My first idea was... How is their spiritual life? Mm -hmm. Are they still pursuing Jesus? Mm -hmm. If you can help them in any way, is asking those questions. How do you reconcile your sexuality with your walk with Jesus? Mm -hmm. How do you feel that God is thinking about you? I know that the focus come quickly to these questions of like dating and, you know, all this. But I think focus on the spiritual identity of your child. Mm. Because if there's any journey for them that they fi- they will give up certain sexual identity issues or behavior, it is because they've experienced a spiritual experience with God. Mm-hmm. Again, that to me becomes investing in spiritual identity before sexual or not because then the decision can be made that like I'm giving this up because I follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. But then they need to experience that Jesus is good and the father's love is worth it so that would be my that's my first thought when you ask these questions like don't focus on that necessarily but focus on their spiritual life and their walk with jesus mm-hmm. and did they experience still the love of the father because i would say then the holy spirits come knocking to their hearts and make them be in conflict with these kinds of questions if that's something what god wants to address in their lives because sometimes god is doing something else Mm-hmm. And we want them, their behavior to be changed and be neatly. But at the same time, I feel like God is sometimes doing something else. Yeah. And we just have to walk with him. But mm-hmm. that makes messy journeys. It is messy. Yeah. Because they start out with the primary identity of their family. Right. And as they get in the teen years, they begin to let go of some of that identity right. and explore then who am I. Right. And there are a lot of different things that we can choose. And I love the fact that you're centering discipleship on who are you and what makes you you. Is it who God says you are? Is it your relationship with him? 
or is it defined by all these other things? And we can talk about sexuality, but we could also talk about materialism or achievement. And and the truth of it is very few teenagers have that kind of deep intimacy and identity with Christ right. deep enough to help them resist everything else that they'd find their identity in. I don't know about you, but when I was a teenager, there were all kinds of things I was putting my identity in that weren't based in who God said I was. Right. And I think as a parent, it's pushing you also, where is your identity in your child and what they're doing? Or you have to also push into God. And that allows, I think, also, I think ultimately you want whatever your child is deciding to do, that whenever they make decisions that you don't agree with or that you don't, but then when life falls apart for them, that they always can come back to you. Mm-hmm. And that's why think also longer term relationally with your child and like the how you want to interact with them especially when they're teenage beginning of their 20s and especially in a sexual journey like that that some of them are making decisions and trying out stuff that you just they're trying to find themselves in that mm-hmm. sense but you, what you always want that your child will wants to come back to you because although mom and dad warned me or disagree with me they love me. They communicated that because it's a safe place then to come back. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's what I would love for parents-children relationship on the longer term. Mm-hmm. You know? How has this played out in your relationship with your parents? Well, I never entered into a homosexual lifestyle. So <laughs> I think that is a... I think my mom and dad are very grateful for that and they realize that. I think for my mom and dad, they had to reconcile with themselves. I think they have blamed themselves that it was their fault. There were definitely some family dynamics that I think were not helpful. But I think my mom and dad also had to forgive themselves in certain parts. And they had to give up some expectation of what my life look would look like. Mm-hmm. A family life, that I would have someone, a wife in that sense. That is something that we had to talk several times about. And so it's not even about, like, my mom wanted the perfect picture for me. But she can verbalize it still, like, what if we're not there anymore? Who's going to take care of you? Mm -hmm. Part of the cultural narrative of sexuality is that who you are sexually is such a huge part of your identity. That actually you can't be fully mature unless you've experimented, unless you figure out... Uh, who you are sexually, are you gay, or are you straight, are you bi, are you male or female, or somewhere in between. Right. And so the culture is really putting all this pressure on the teen years and the young adult years not to make decisions, but for you to go find yourself. Right. And a big part of finding yourself is your sexuality. Everything that's happening in the culture also impacts Christians in the church. Absolutely. Um, So that's sort of a big thing just to lay on you and say, how do we sort through that? And are are you seeing that play out as you're working with young adults? Yeah. I think what is the result of that Mm -hmm. is a very anxious, stressful, depressed kind of young adult group that we're facing right now that we're ministering to and that we're seeing. All the numbers are going to that direction. They are. The fact that you can choose whatever your life is and that you have to define yourself is not the greatest thing. Mm-hmm. It's the, it, we say it's freedom, but it's actually not where we're made for. It's kind of like, I think it goes back to 
the whole thing of like you, you know, where Eve is in the garden and, and the serpent says, you can just determine your own life. You choose what good and evil is. And people were not made for that. I think one of the aspects of freedom, the relief of myself in the middle of my journey was that truth was Jesus. Mm -hmm. Truth was outside of myself. I didn't have to define myself. I could just let Jesus say, this is who you are. And that gave so much freedom that I'm like, and relief. But then again, is then the person Jesus, God the Father, a good person that you trust that can define you then? But that there's something outside of self that define us, that's such a relief for me. Mm -hmm. And that gives so much freedom. Because then I don't have to think about it all the time or define myself all the time and be in that stress and exhaustion, which we see. But I can look to Jesus and say, you tell me who I am. Yeah. This is who I am. And, and then I come to a place of rest. Yeah. I think I have to surrender then. And I think that's the hardest thing that we do, have to do, to surrender to what God says about us and believe that. But at the end of the day, I think that's freedom. I remember uh, giving a talk at a, at a church not long ago, and I was talking about some of these aspects of sexuality and singleness and how the culture has sexuality defining us so much. And it's not just on the LGBTQ spectrum. It's really your experience, your sexual experience. And uh, I was talking about how at some level the church is doing this in its own spiritualized way, hmm. that in order to be mature, you have to be married uh, you have to have a family, that these are right. all the mile markers of what it means to be complete in Christ. Yeah. And I made this one statement, and this woman came up afterwards and was in tears and just said, thank you. I've never heard it. And I just said, do you realize that you don't have to have had sex or be married to be a fully mature Christian adult? Yeah. And to her, it was like, Wow. And so both from the cultural narrative and also from the way we've idealized and idolized marriage, what is it like for that single Christian to wrestle through, I can be complete in Christ without this? Yeah. I think that's my experience, that there is a thriving fullness of life. And that's, I think that's what Jesus is saying. To us. I come to bring fullness of life. But I, yeah, I, I agree with you that the sexual experience doesn't, is not necessarily part of that fullness of life. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's just because life is unfair in that sense. And we all will get the same experience, you know, when we're going to heaven in that sense. I don't experience like an absence or lack of anything. And at the same time, if I focus on that, of course I will. Mm-hmm. I don't know, is that a posture of life? Mm -hmm. Then also kind of like, yeah, I experience your fullness and I take and I'm grateful. Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that you have grace on my life and I'm not in a demanding posture. Mm -hmm. So related to this issue of sexuality, we talk at Authentic Intimacy a lot about sexual discipleship. Yeah. What direction can you give for the average person to begin entering into relationships that are addressing these kinds of issues with a discipleship framework? Yeah. I think it starts with what we have been talking about this podcast about first someone's identity in relationship to God the Father. 
Mm-hmm. I think that's where all discipleship starts. If there is a different relational aspect towards God, that He is the master and I just have to obey, that's already a bad start, I would say, in discipleship. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of people start. That's where a lot of people start, unfortunately. And then also, the, then the question on sexuality become a distorted one. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I start kind of discipling someone and maybe even starts with a sexual question, but that's what I'm trying to find out first. How is their relationship with God? What is the experiences of the love of God? Is it not only head knowledge, but something that they really experience, that there is this foundation of God's Father's love for them? Mm-hmm. Often I think that's not there. Mm-hmm. And so I would focus on that. And also, is God speaking to you? Um, do you have a lively relationship? Not only do you read your Bible and do you pray, but can you actively hear God's voice in your life on a daily basis? So that's what I would focus on first. And if somebody says no, like I go to church, I read my Bible every now and then, I don't know how to do that. Well, let's start there and let's help, let me help you grow in that and mm-hmm. let me help you give you some tools to really understand God's voice and discern Him in your daily life. How to read the Bible then more experientially. Mm-hmm. That it's not only head knowledge. So that's where I would start. Mm-hmm. Often attached to that, it doesn't have to be separate from that, is then tackling the questions on, yeah, what is then the biblical narrative of sexuality? And, I mean, you have written such a great book about that. I think that's one of the things then on sexuality, that's where I start. doesn't matter where a person is in their sexuality. Because I think we need a greater narrative then in order to how do I relate myself in my journey then to that greater narrative because mm-hmm. it is about God's narrative and how am I part of that instead of like it's all about my narrative and how mm-hmm. does God fit into that which we do actually a lot on this so that's what I would do in discipleship is kind of like determining first where that relationship with God really is mm-hmm. and then come to a point where what's the greater narrative or sexuality mm-hmm. and then it's like how do you fit in that, into that yeah are you seeing that as you work with young men and women that this is effective? I would say yes. I think it comes, especially I would say in an LGBTQ kind of setting, coming to the right conviction is just number one. But then following Jesus in then in order to give your life away to others, that's step two. Mm-hmm. So I've seen that some people come to a certain conviction, but then it's still this mix of like, but I want to live my life the way that I do as well. And then completely surrendering, I think it's for everyone, as a response to God's love, that's the challenge right now. Yeah. Um, and that's the key. That's In the response key. to God's love. And if we don't know God's love, if God continues just to be a rule-based monarch, yeah. <laughs> then we have nothing to respond to other than fear. Yeah. Yeah, I think what you're describing, Lawrence, is so key because when I think about many of the Christians that I interact with, they have such a superficial relationship with the Lord that none of this makes sense. And it does feel like harsh rules that we have to follow. Right. I think um, the Barner Group did in research over what they call resilient disciples. And one of the characteristics of resilient disciples is that they experience life with Jesus as joyful. Mm -hmm. 
not only that they're experiencing Jesus, but experiencing God is results in joy into their lives. Mm-hmm. And that's only 10%, I think, from the current generation people who grew up in Christian church. Mm-hmm. That's staggering to me. Yeah. That it's not only about do I live the Christian life, but do I experience joy in the middle of that? Mm-hmm. Is that the result? Is the goodness of God? Yeah. Only 10%. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing that number go down, particularly in the younger generations. Yeah. One thing I think is a real tension point, particularly having these conversations among the younger generation of Christians, is they see LGBTQ issues as a social justice issue yeah. and as an equal rights and fairness issue. Yeah. How do we have that conversation in a way that is biblically based? Yeah. Two sides, I think, of this. One side, there's a truth to it. Mm-hmm. because LGBTQ people have been marginalized and excluded. And, and there is some part of that that's totally true. Mm-hmm. And so from a kingdom perspective, I think, to speak for and to come and to speak against injustice, I think from a kingdom point of view, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. We can totally do that. At the same time, it's challenging also, I think, is like, is then kind of like... Social justice can be also, without kind of the gospel and the kingdom, can become in itself something that marginalizes or excludes other people as well. What do you mean by that? Well, I think you see a shift right now in our culture that when, this usually true, when a minority culture becomes majority, they start oppressing the minority that then exists. Mm-hmm. And I would say, as walking now as a believer in that sense, and I see that a little bit more in Europe too, as uh, walking as a person who is gay or same-sex attracted, but and as a Christian, but then say, no, I'm choosing to believe in the traditional view of marriage and sexuality, the biblical narrative that I actually fell in love with, and I'm living accordingly, that I would say that voice right now, in the current Christian world in Europe, but increasingly more also here in America, becomes then oppressed as well. Mm-hmm. Because how, how why would you do that? You are ignorant or you are excluding other people in that sense. So I feel like, wow, that's a challenge even to walk this journey. And I experienced that in Europe as well. It's like among my Christian friends, mm-hmm. I become one of the few people who walk this journey and believe this. And... Mm-hmm. And how then I have conversations about this is very interesting. So in one situation, you are oppressed because of your identity as being same-sex attracted. Sure. But now the pendulum is swinging to where you feel oppressed because you're holding to the biblical narrative of sexuality. Yeah. yeah. And I think feeling oppressed is, I think, victim. Uh, conver- you know, that's a victim language, I would say, even. But I see that pressure. It's like, wow, this is so interesting that people are challenging me back home mm-hmm. on what I believe mm-hmm. and why I live my life. And one of the things that I'm asking sometimes, like, but, you know, like, what do you really believe then about these things mm-hmm. and having those conversations? But yeah, exactly what you're expressing there. Mm-hmm. I've heard you speak in the past about celibacy. And uh, that's the road that God has called you to. And celibacy is a 
biblical kind of old-fashioned word. So define it for me. What do you mean by celibacy? I never liked that word either. <laughs> well, but I think it's better than singleness. Yeah. Because what I think said before also, singleness like single aloneness in that sense. I think there is a beauty now in how I kind of start to understand that. I think celibacy is the calling to give yourself away to a multitude of people and mm-hmm. to have a life of richness with God. And there is this moment of calling where he calls you into this special place of intimacy with him. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I understand it mm-hmm. right now. <laughs> okay, so it's two things. It's pursuing intimacy with God and it's giving yourself away to your community. Yeah. And to the work of the kingdom. Yeah. That's how you define it. Yeah. So it's interesting that you define it as the pursuit of something and not the absence of something. Yes. Because when I hear the word celibacy, immediately I think no sex, no marriage. It's the absence of something. Yeah. And uh, like uh, being alone all the time. Yes, exactly. But that's how I needed to redefine it in order to become like something that I want and long for. Mm-hmm. I think we're all human beings that long and all want uh, there's longing and desires and we're driven by that i think we are made like that by god i think it's fo- it's kind of like ignorant to think through like we're only intellectually driven but that's kind of like what this whole conversation on sexuality is sometimes it gets distorted or mm-hmm. often more often than sometimes but this is why i needed to redefine this definition of celibacy because it needs it's something that I need to long for mm-hmm. and I find beautiful. Have you, in this journey, switched from primarily identifying as a same-sex attracted or gay Christian to identifying as a celibate Christian? No, I've never no? done that. Oh, it's <laughs> funny. I've never seen that as that's such an identity giver in that sense. I'm living a celibate life, but I'm like a celibate Christian. Uh-huh. Well, some people would say in the labeling, like I'm a gay celibate Christian. So uh-huh. maybe I should label myself in a certain way like that as well. Uh-huh. But uh, no, I've never thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's the next chapter. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Yeah. What made you ask that question? What is your thought behind that? Because I think by, and, and we'll just dialogue about this because I'm just thinking through this right now, but I think by identifying primarily as a gay Christian or same-sex attracted Christian, you're choosing the brokenness to be the definition, whereas where it's led you to this beautiful vision of celibacy, of mm. pursuing God and, and giving yourself to your community, is the redemption of that. Yeah. So, but then would you introduce yourself then as a straight married no. Christian? No, I wouldn't. But in terms of how you think about yourself yeah. and what God's called you to, I don't know. That's how define you having gotten to know you is yeah. that what defines you most is the passion that you have for the Lord and right. for his people. I think, yeah, it could be part of my story in that sense. Mm-hmm. But what I love, I think, about the calling that God has given us on sexuality, that it doesn't matter where we're straight or gay, married or single, mm-hmm. we're all pursuing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And that's also why I just so am grateful for this journey because you as a married straight person mm-hmm. and me as a single celibate gay person in that sense, we're following Jesus the same way. I love how Lawrence concedes that walking with a loved one through tough questions about sexual identity and sexual brokenness can get messy. But as you heard, no matter what our sexual brokenness is, if we're following Jesus, we're ultimately walking the same road together. 
I'm grateful that along the way I get to meet people like Lawrence, who is a faithful example of what it means to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. I hope you've enjoyed this bonus episode of Java with Julie, and you can find more resources like blogs, Bible studies, and more Java with Julie episodes on our website, AuthenticIntimacy.com. Hey, thanks for listening, and I look forward to having coffee with you again next time on Java with Julie.